You are listening to a Cold Lake Community Church podcast. We hope today's message inspires you. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families connect. I am so blessed to be able to travel with these beautiful and amazing young people and uh, serve the Lord with them. And I, I think of us as a one big team. And I'm so privileged and honored to be able to, uh, to be with them and, and to watch God work through them. Watch the Spirit of God just move and speak and lead. It's just such a, wow, I'm just so, uh, just in awe of God and His goodness. I, I just have, honestly, so much I want to talk to you about, but I just don't have time. So, um, I'm going to do half of this this morning. And I'm going to do half in Montreal on Wednesday. And if you're free Wednesday night, you can join me and get the rest of the story. Um, I, there, there are days, like I wonder, like, what in the world are you doing serving God? Like, like what are you doing? Well, like, what, who am I to serve God? Who am I to talk to God? And who am I to whom God's Word comes to my heart and to my ears and to my mind? Um, I want to talk to you about the uncommon soul. If you could see each other the way God sees you, your perception of each other would be blown right out of the water. If you could just and if you could see yourself, who you are. We're all, you know, we all put the clothing of the flesh on us. Hair, skin, nails. But 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 when the Spirit of God dwells in you, when you've come to Christ and you're living in a new hope and a new reality, new relationship with God, you have become an uncommon soul. I still remember a YouTube video I saw a few years ago. This uh, Italian uh, professional football, uh, football, what do they call it? Soccer. We call it soccer. And he's walking by, shuffling. He's got this you know, gray hair and beard and he's shuffling through this field where they're playing soccer, these 18, 19 year olds. And you know, and he's wandering through and he's watching and and then he calls for the ball and they kick it over to him and he's shuffling. And all of a sudden these amazing 20 year old soccer players watch this old guy put on this magic clinic with a soccer ball. And then of course he takes his disguise off and they recognize him as one of Italy's premier football players. There's a day coming when God's going to take the disguise off and you'll be seen for the amazing, uncommon soul that you are today. And I don't want you to be discouraged today 
by all of the things that you wrestle with in your life. I want you to look beyond that. I want you to look at how God talks about you. I want you to look at how God sees you. I want you to really grasp hold of who you are. I want you to know that when you come to Christ, you don't become a multiple personality person. You do not. You do not become schizophrenic in one reality one moment and in another reality the next moment. That's a lie. If anyone is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. What you and I are are uncommon souls dragging around some baggage with which we were born, some things we learned, some sins that dwell deep within us, but we're new. We're new people. New men, new women, new boys, new girls. And so I want to just I want to go back and we just want to look at some people in the Bible. Because if you're going to make up a story, okay, so here's my argument that, that this is true. One of my arguments that this is true. If you're going to make up a religion and you're going to make up a story, one of the things you're not going to do is show the protagonists, the main characters in this story, you're not going to show them in all their faults and failures and weaknesses. That's just bad advertising. Right? You know you don't see Mercedes Benz with a 92-year-old blind guy driving the car wandering through traffic. I mean, they have professional drivers that sell their cars. But that's the difference between advertising and the Gospel. The Gospel takes real people and gives them a real makeover. And changes them. Because the Gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It's the power of God to live a new life. So we want to look at some people and look at their life and then we'll see if we get to some of the things we can learn from these people. So I want to begin in James chapter 5, verse 17. I'm just going to pick a little section of verse 17 and talk about it. And then the rest is in Montreal on Wednesday. So, James writes this. Amazing words. How many of you know the story of Elijah? How many of you have read 1 Kings 18, 19 there? How many of you have never heard of a guy named Elijah in the Old Testament? Okay. I can, I can talk to liars too. That's okay. So, James says something really profound. He says, Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. Now, there's, he says more on each side, and there's a context. But, but listen to what he said. Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. Of course, then he talks about 
some pretty amazing things that Elijah did. But he was just like us. He was just like me. He was just like you. And, and God's servants in the Bible, every one of them are uncommon souls. They're common people with an uncommon soul. I think about Moses. So let's, let's talk about Moses first of all. You know, Moses is this uh, person born into a Hebrew family, but because the Egyptians wanted to do population control, literally, they killed all of the male Hebrew children. And Moses was hidden, and eventually he was adopted into a Hebrew or into an Egyptian family, grew up royalty, a prince of Egypt. Until one day he rescued a fellow Hebrew and killed the Egyptian who was abusing him. And he had to flee for his life. And so he was 40 years old when that happened. And he goes and he lives in the wilderness for 40 years looking after sheep. And one day he's coming up on the mountain of God and he sees this bush burning, but it's not consumed. And God begins to commission him and prepare him and call him. And, you know, Moses goes, you know, who am I? What am I? I can't do this. I. I'm just not good enough, I'm not smart enough, I don't speak well enough, pick somebody else. And and he and God go at it, and God starts to get angry with him. But he goes, he goes, and God does incredible things through him, miracles. And then God begins to speak through Moses and, he, and then he begins to judge Egypt and the plagues get more and more severe. And then, and then eventually after the tenth plague, the death of the firstborn, God finally breaks Pharaoh's spirit. And for just a brief window, he gives in. And Israel, these million or so people move in and Moses, Moses leads them into the wilderness and And God splits the Red Sea and begins to feed His people in the wilderness and and, and provide for their thirst and protect it. Like like honestly, that's not a story. That's history. But in, in the book of Numbers, we see another side of Moses. In Numbers chapter 20, See, this people is a, a kind of a complaining people. And they keep complaining, right? It goes good and God does uh, something wonderful for them and provides for them. And then the next day they're complaining again. And Moses is getting frustrated with them. And, uh, and then they're, they're at this place where they're thirsty and they, they haven't had water for a long time. And they're complaining and murmuring and they want to have an election for a new leader and... Moses is just like, so he goes to God and God says, take your rod and go and speak to the rock and water will come out for the people. But you see, there's something, something of ill repute in Moses. And he walks out in front of the people and he goes, are we supposed to bring water out of this rock? And he strikes the rock with the rod. Twice. The first time nothing happens. And I think in that moment, Moses goes, oh. 
And he strikes it a second time, and then God does a miracle and gushes water out of the rock. But God turns to Moses and he says this, because you did not listen to me, I told you to go and speak to the rock. And you made this about you and the burden of your leadership. And you took upon yourself the glory and the privilege that was mine. He says, you can't enter the promised land. Just remember that story. Because we're going to go somewhere with that. And then I think about, think about David. David is, wow, just like one of the first people that I'm going to have a conversation with in heaven is David. He's, got, he's just got this pure-hearted little kid, right? And he's anointed to be the king. He didn't ask for it. He didn't deserve it. He didn't earn it. He didn't look like it. Nothing. But he's a musician, just like these beautiful musicians. And he plays the harp. <laughs> and, he, and he composes songs. And then God establishes him and, and defends him and protects him and, and rallies people around him. And, 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 and people look to him and they just they follow David. He's just so followable. He's God's chosen. And he gets, he, he comes in and he takes over Jerusalem and he creates this kingdom and, and unity in the kingdom. And, and 2 Samuel chapter 11 tell, begins to tell us a divergent chapter in David's life. Just like, just like Moses had a divergent chapter. David had one. And it's 2 Samuel chapter 11 and he's out on the rooftop and he, you know the story, right? You know the story of David and Bathsheba. He sees this beautiful woman. He conspires to commit adultery and then he commits adultery. And then he wants to cover up what he's done and he conspires to cover up his sin, but Uriah, her husband, is an honorable man and won't be complicit in the cover-up. Quite innocently so. And David gets him drunk and tries again. Go home, spend time with your wife, you know. And he won't. He's an honorable man. And then he conspires to commit murder. And then he commits murder. Those are, okay, in our economic sin, sin economy, those are significant sins. Fairly sure none of you have gone to that length in your life. But this is a man who is a man after God's own heart. with a pretty ugly chapter in his life. And the baby that Bathsheba has is born and lives for a few days. And God says, I will forgive you, but the child will die. Remember that story, because we're coming back there in a minute. We're going somewhere with that. Think about Elijah, who, who James talked about. And... Uh, you know, Elijah is like us in our culture. Elijah was a faithful man who was in a minority in his culture. Because people had just abandoned the faith. They had gone after other gods. They had worshipped Baal. They had forsaken their history with God. And it was like the faith community just shrunk, shrunk, shrunk like it is in Canada. It's shrinking. 
And so he has a challenge to the prophets of Baal. And he says, let's meet me on Mount Carmel and bring a sacrifice. I'll bring a sacrifice. So they meet there. All these hundreds of prophets. And he says, okay, he says, let's have a little competition here. Um, you build an altar. You call out to Baal and see what happens. And then I'll build an altar and I'll call out to God and see what happens. And whichever God answers, he's God. They go, yeah, we can live with that. That sounds good. And so they... The prophets of Baal build this altar. They cut up this sacrifice, an ox, and lay it on the altar, and they begin to cry out to their God. They just are screaming and yelling and dancing and jumping and exhausted and for a long time. And, and Moses is sitting on the side. I think he's going like this. And he goes, uh, he can't hear you. And they start yelling louder. And they go, and then he goes, um, oh, he's on vacation. I think he's on, he literally says, I think he's on vacation. And they start cutting themselves desperately. Nothing happens. And so Elijah goes, okay, bring me 12 stones, 12 tribes of Israel, 12 stones. He says, we'll build an altar to the Lord. So he begins to worship right from the beginning. He's worshiping. And he builds this altar and he says, dig a trench around it. And they go, a trench? Like, what do you need a trench for? And he goes, relax. So they build a trench. <laughs> they cut the sacrifice up. They put it on. And he says, go get the water. And they go, but it's not going to burn. He says, go get the water. And they dump pitcher after pitcher of water. And it soaks the sacrifice in the stones. And it fills the trench. And then he just says, he literally falls. And he says, God, for your own sake, answer me. And the fire from heaven was of such power that it consumed the sacrifice and the stones and the water and everything was gone. Like that, is that a life-changing moment? And yet the next day we find Elijah running for his life, fearful of a woman named Jezebel. He just watched God do this. And now he's running scared for his life. And he gets to this point in his life. And this is what he says. I just want to die. I just want to die. I'm all alone. Take my life. That's not a great chapter after the mountaintop experience. You, you, you know what I'm talking about today, don't you? Because even if you're sitting alone, you're sitting really close to a person that's been there. And that's you. And then I think about Peter. Impetuous, like if there's something to say, Peter's going to say it. If there's something to do, Peter's going to do it. Jumping out of boats, making confessions, all kinds of stuff. Great guy. Wow. And when a person like that gets filled with the Holy Spirit, look out. Really, look out. So, so Peter, Peter in... in uh, in his conversation with Jesus and in his 
interaction with Jesus, and it's in Matthew chapter 16. You know, Jesus is saying, so who do people say that I am? And some say Moses and Elijah. And Jesus says, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter, you know, you know Peter's going to be the first one to talk. And he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That, that beautiful, amazing, glorious confession about Jesus. You are the Christ, the Son of the God, the Messiah, the sent one, the anointed one. And, and Peter begins to, Jesus begins to bless Peter. And he says, blessed are you, Simon, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but God who is in heaven. And he says, upon your confession, I will build my church. And Peter, like, I think Peter's going, you know, John, you know what he's saying. He's, he's feeling really good. Like, that's a moment of incredible satisfaction. And it, and it should be. And right after that, right after Jesus said, you know, I'm going to build my church on your confession. And Jesus said, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. Whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. All authority, Peter, I'm going to give you. And almost right away, Jesus began to speak to his disciples. And he said this, the Son of Man is going to Jerusalem and will be crucified and the third day will rise again. And Peter looks at Jesus and says, no, it's not going to happen. And Jesus turns around and he looks at Peter. You're Peter this morning. And what he says shakes Peter to the core of his being. He says, get behind me, Satan. In one moment, confessing the truth about Jesus. And in the next moment, denying the purposes of God and fighting against God's purposes for Peter and for the whole world. That's an ugly moment and an ugly chapter in someone's life. And you and I all have mountaintop experiences in all of us, especially me, really ugly chapters in our life. And if you leave your understanding of who you are in that moment with that reality, you're going to live such a mediocre, cyclical, roller coaster Christian life. Because your perception of yourself and of God is going to go up and down and up and down and it's going to change all the time. And eventually you're going to be a very miserable Christian. Defeated, discouraged. And you're going to be a very, very bad poster child for God. You're not going to represent Him in the way that He wants you to represent Him. In the way that He designed you to represent Him. You, if Christ is in you and the Holy Spirit is in you, what you need to know is that yes, you are a common person with an incredibly uncommon soul. You have an uncommon soul. So what are we going to learn 
from some of these lessons of God's people. The first thing is that God is faithful. Even when we're not. God is faithful. God loved you before you were good. Did you know that? God loved you before you were good. And He loves you deeply. Even when you're bad. That's true. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, in Romans 5.8, while we were yet sinners, God demonstrated His love for us. He demonstrates His love for us. He called you. He called you. He called you when you were nobody. He called you when you were nothing. He called you when you were just you. And there was not much. He called you. He has a purpose for you. And that purpose for you this morning and until the day that you see Jesus is this. His purpose for you is that you would look like Jesus. With your face and your personality and your giftings and your skills. But those are all secondary to the calling of God for you to look like Jesus. That in you should be the very mind of Christ. And in me should be the very heart of Christ. And the very nature and character of Jesus should be written upon us. And that is how Jesus is going to reach Cold Lake. As you look like Jesus. God is faithful even when you're not. If you're here this morning and you're struggling because of guilt or failure or shame or, or mediocrity, God loves you and is faithful. And He's calling you. He's calling you. He's calling you beyond where you are. He's calling you to more. The second thing we can learn, and this is really, really neat. God knows your battle. God knows your battle. You know, Hebrews chapter 2 and chapter 4 both remind us that Jesus, the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, the glorious God of heaven who created all things and who holds everything together, this amazing eternal God, came to this world clothed in flesh and blood with a human spirit and a human character and a human nature and a human body. And He was made just like us. And Hebrews makes this point that He was made like us so that He could understand us. So that He could, he could share life and live life the way we live life. Hebrews says that He was tempted in every way like you are and like I am. God knows your battles. He knows your struggles. He knows you. He knows sometimes the fight that you're in. And in our culture, there are two things primarily with which Western Christians really struggle. Two things primarily. And actually, the Bible talks about them as much as anything else. The first thing is money. We struggle with a love of money and things. It is such a grip on the heart of Christians. 
God wants to pry that out of us and He wants to set us free. God, okay, so here it is. God wants to be your banker. God wants to be your banker. The other thing that our culture struggles with immensely is sexual compulsion. It has an incredible grip on the lives of Christian people. And so many live in a cycle of guilt and fighting and failure. And I want you to know that God understands. But I also want you to know that God has provided for your freedom. He has provided for a way out. We'll talk about that provision uh, as the last thing. Okay, so I'm not even going to get through half of this. Okay. The last thing, second last thing, is that God is for us. God's for you. He's not like sometimes there and sometimes not. Uh, I grew up playing sports. Um, I played five sports in high school. And I don't ever remember one game when my mom or dad weren't there. And that was lots of times, five times a week. I never remember a time when my mom and dad weren't there. And some of you did not have a parent like that. Or you had one. Or maybe, maybe some of you didn't have a parent like that. But my parents modeled in some way, who God is for me. God's for me. God's for you. He's there for you. So let's go back to those stories for a minute, okay? You remember where I told you to like remember these stories? Okay, let's go back to Moses. In Deuteronomy chapter 34, God takes Moses after the wilderness. They're ready. They're coming to the promised land. They are like they can spit there. And I think Moses is going, maybe God will change his mind. You know, like, come on, I want to go. I've done like, honestly, 40 years of this. I want to get in there. And God says, I told you, you disobeyed me, and there's a price to pay. And, and one of the most beautiful passages in all the Bible is in Deuteronomy 34. And the Bible says that God took Moses up to the mountain, and he showed him the promised land. And then do you know what it says? It says in Moses, the servant of the Lord, died. And it says God buried him. That to me is one of the most tender moments in all the Bible. God took time and he reached down and and I don't know what he did, but dug a little hole and picked up his servant. And he buried him. The Bible says nobody knows where Moses is buried. Do you remember David, the story? 
right? He goes through a week of grief. He's fasting. He's praying. God save the life of this child. Bathsheba's child, his child. Hoping and praying, maybe God will change his mind. And the child dies. And David shows incredible maturity. And he says, okay. He says, it's, it's what God said. And I, I knew this was coming. But he says, the child can't come back to me, but I will go to my child. But then something happens in 2 Samuel chapter 12. And it says, David comforted Bathsheba. And she bore another son and named him what? Solomon. And then the Bible says something so incredibly amazing. It says, and the Lord loved him. And the Lord called the pastor Nathan. He said, come here, come here, come here. And the Lord said, his name's not Solomon. I want you to call him Jedediah. And Jedediah means beloved of God. And so David and Bathsheba called him Solomon. But God called him Jedediah. Can you imagine after being through that terrible emotional moral crisis and that, that the terrible guilt and grief and brokenness and Uriah's dead and David's crushed and Bathsheba loses her husband and the baby dies. Can you, do you hear the heart of God in giving them this little boy and God's loving kindness to name him beloved of God? And then, of course, Elijah. Elijah was in, in the midst of that depression and self-pity and wanting to die. God literally met him on the mountain. And he wasn't in the earthquake, and he wasn't in the fire, and he wasn't in the wind. God came in a still, small voice. And he, he was like a father of his child, and he says... Elijah, go. You need to anoint a new king and you need to anoint a successor. And the Bible says that Elijah's life on this world ended one day when God sent heaven's taxi, the chariots of heaven, and caught Elijah up. And Peter, after that, you know, Peter is just... You know, Jesus said, um, everyone's going to leave me and, and forsake me. And Peter goes, no way, there's no way. There's no way I will ever leave you. And Jesus looked at Peter and said, you're going to deny me three times. Three times, Peter, you're going to deny me. And he does. And the Bible says that Peter's heart is broken. And Jesus turned and looked at him. And Peter wept. He gave up his best friend. But then after Jesus rises from the dead and he says, go and meet me at Galilee. And they meet on the seashore there and they're fishing and, and they realize it's Jesus. And Peter is really self-conscious, I think. Really self-conscious because of what he did. And they've eaten and then 
you know, Peter's sitting here, and Jesus is sitting here by the fire, and Jesus literally just looks at him in the eye, and three times, three times, not twice, not four times, three times, for every time that Peter denied Jesus, Jesus said, do you love me? Do you love me? Because Jesus knew that in Peter was this uncommon soul. And all of these stories, and with this I'm going to close because I'll never finish if I keep going. With all of these stories, this tells me that God is a restoring, healing, forgiving, recommissioning God. So I don't know where you're at in your life today or you feel like you're disqualified or you've lost out or it's too late. I want you to know that you are not disqualified. You have not lost out and it's not too late. I pray everywhere I go that God calls people to ministry. I don't care what they're doing. I don't care where they are. I don't care who they are. I don't care how old they are. I don't care about their experience or their past or their education. But I want God to call people to make a difference in the world and in His kingdom. I want Him to call. And I want you to hear that call this morning. And I want you to surrender this morning. Because your God loves you and He's for you. And if you need to be restored today in your relationship with Jesus, maybe you have habits and sins in your life that are just, they're just weighing your heart down. I just know Him. I know what He's done for me. And He'll do that for you. Can we pray for a second? Would you bow? I told stories this morning, Lord, from your word. Stories that are not stories, they're revelations into the very heart of God. This holy God that's so untouchable by ourselves. This holy God that cannot cannot stand in the presence of sin and there are consequences to sin but I also read God that you are a loving healing restoring forgiving merciful compassionate God I just wanted this morning to in some small way communicate the heart of Jesus So Lord, I pray this morning, as I'm praying, if someone's in this room that needs to be forgiven, they would just reach out in faith to you and say, Jesus, forgive me. And if you're here, you do that, just do that in the quietness of your heart. Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, heal me. Heal my family. Heal my marriage, Lord. Heal me of the wounds that my own sin have made in my heart. Heal me. 
And I promise you, friends, this morning that he will do that. I guarantee you that he will do that. And for someone in this room who needs to be re-engaged in ministry, maybe it's ministry in this church, maybe the pastors of this church need an army of witnesses for Christ in Coal Lake. God, I I pray that this church would hear the call of God to take the gospel to their friends and to their neighbors and, and everywhere they go and begin to to talk about this this God that forgives and heals and restores. And if you're here this morning and you're hearing the knock of the Holy Spirit to recommission you for ministry. And I don't know But there are lots of times we go to churches and God calls people to leave what they're doing and come to Vanguard and prepare for ministry. And if you're here today and that's the Spirit's voice to you, you need to do that. You need to do that. So Lord, we just worship You. We bless you. I thank you, Lord. I just, my heart is filled with praise for the beauty of your grace and the love of your mercy and the kindness of your heart. I've never in my life ever met anyone like you. So, Lord, I pray the blessing of the living God upon this family, this church family. We as a Vanguard team, we pray blessing upon them. We pray the power and anointing of the Spirit of God upon them. We pray that You would kindle a fire in this place that would never go out. We pray, Lord, that hundreds and hundreds of people would come to Christ and You would do a work in this place, Lord, that transcends our understanding. That's the blessing we pray upon them. And this would be a church of holiness and a church of love and a church of power because they're common people with an uncommon soul. So Lord, we bless You. And pray this in Jesus' name. You have been listening to Cold Lake Community Church Podcast. We hope that you've been blessed by this teaching from Cold Lake Community Church. Thank you for your continued support of this ministry. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families connect.